The Popstorian Podcast with Chris and Ben. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Greatest crash in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. A date which will live in infamy. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. What are you supposed to do when you see the flash? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That's one small step for man. One well, I'm not a crook. Might have gotten away with it, too. It wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The evil of the thriller. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. Great power comes great responsibility. Um, I'm actually not a big fan of the slow motion Okay. As a tool that takes you out. Um, I I know it's it can be used very well and efficiently, and I guess uh, he uses it pretty well. Um, but he seems like every time someone gets shot off a building or a cliff or something, he mm-hmm. just slows mo's kind of put it in slow mo. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, did all right once, but he does it like three times in the movie. Yeah, at least. At least, and I'm just like, did it have to be that much? Like every time someone gets shot off a building, and I don't know if it's to cover up a, a stunt. Or or something like that, or why he slows down, but I just think I think it was an intentional choice. I don't think it was needed, and that's like I guess a personal yeah, that's personal fair choice. It, um, it's a really interesting thing that he does. He doesn't just show a slow motion shot, but he actually intercuts it with showing the same action at regular speed from other angles, and or cuts it in other shots to juxtapose things. And that's the second part of it is that it's just really disorienting. Sure. In the first gunfight, and I don't criticize him for this because it actually works very well for what he's trying to do it's like sure, an explosion yeah. of violence like a bomb going off yeah. <laughs> but he just cuts it so fast and he almost cuts it out of order almost i don't know if you noticed this but like the horse goes through the window and then you cut to something oh, else yeah. and then he mm-hmm. cut the horse keeps going through the window yeah it's like almost takes it out of the timeline yeah so it's almost not chronological it's very disorienting and i guess that's what you want for a gunfight of that kind of yeah i think part of what's going on there I would uh, presume, and this but, is the first gunfight in the movie, by the way. This yeah, is in it's front very. Of the bank. I think he wants to uh, to capture the intensity of the gunfight and how fast events like that, like in real life, yeah. when you're if you're in a car accident or something. Uh, if you've time, ever been in a car a- yeah, accident, there's a weird time shift time, thing that happens yeah. where time seems to slow down, but also things happen very fast. So, so there's kind of that juxtaposition. It works for the movie. So, and I just was felt disorganized or disoriented. So I sure. didn't like it so much. Just because it works doesn't mean you but have it, to like it. But it worked so well in the movie. So I don't give him too much crap for that. Yeah. Um, but it's okay if you don't like it. So there's that. Then the the two big ones here, and I'm going to say the biggest one first because it's got to be said, is that this film. I don't know how to start this. How to start this. Um, this film doesn't treat women very well at all. True. So this is kind of a big issue for me. Um, this is like when we, all of our other films that we looked at, there's usually one, you might call it a token character, but there's mm-hmm. usually one central female character in the film, whether they're treated right well or not. In this film, there's none. Mm-hmm. All the female characters that actually have lines are usually shot. Mm-hmm. They are killed. Yeah. Um, and so the message that this film kind of gives is that if you don't like what a woman says, you kill her. And that's not good. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a big issue I have with this film is that it's it's uh, all throughout the film. There's a lot of women in this film. 
Yeah. None of them are very strong as far as you might call a strong female character. Yeah. Um, very few have lines. The only places you see them are in the bedroom, mm-hmm. in the kitchen, <laughs> taking care of kids, and in church. Yeah. Those literally the four sequences that you see women in this film. And so I... Yeah. Or I'd, taking fair care of the men folk. Right. Oh, that, I would put that in the kitchen type yeah, thing because yeah. they're serving food or whatnot. Yeah. That, and, that's a very valid criticism. Yeah. And, it, and it's not like this is in the like way old film history. This is 69. So mm-hmm. uh, the feminist movement is, is kind of building steam at this point. Um, so it's just, it's just odd. And I could forgive it maybe a little bit by saying, well, this is of that time period. You can't make a movie like this without portraying that but the thing is i don't think peck and paul actually even thought about it when he was yeah. doing this it it feels more like a sin of omission than commission like he he legitimately yeah, I, forgot that women were people <laughs> <laughs> exactly he's just like well he treats them almost like horses in this movie yeah like you can't make a western without a horse like you can't make a, a film like this without having women in it yeah um and he, he just doesn't give them a human yeah. presence um, it's, just there. There's, I think there's flashes of it, uh, but it's pretty rare and it's pretty. It's I'm, not. It's I, not sufficient. I think the argument can be made for when Pike has the flashback with the woman he supposedly loves, but then she's mm-hmm. killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Angel's wife slash girlfriend gives like a strong performance there, and then he kills her. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever you, those instances happen, they often end up dead. And I, yeah. So that's. I don't know if that's just a comment on. I see how you could definitely read that as a misogynistic comment. I feel like it's more meant to be a, a showcasing of the brutality of the time and of the place. And that's why as far I'm, as the fact that they're killed. Right. And that's kind that's of That's not the, to excuse that's the commission part. And I think just looking at Peckinpah is like, well, did he mean to do this? And he's like, no. He's just like, oh, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he just kind of just forgets about it. So it's, it's on both sides of that, I think. And. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest criticism of the film. One um, of my... I think it needs to, needed to be put out there. Yeah. You do you say? want me to rebut that, or do you want to get to your second one? And then I'll rebut both of them you later. Wanna, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to rebut it now, that's fine. We can continue yeah, this. It's this a pretty comment. brief rebuttal, because it's uh, that is one of the most valid criticisms of the film, I think. Um, but I would just say that part of my reading of this film, uh, and part of where I think it fits into the social context, because it is kind of an old-fashioned movie in a way, and has kind of old-world... All the characters in it have very old-world values that were very much becoming outmoded in the late 60s uh, by all the social upheavals that we'll talk about in the second part of our podcast. Um, But uh, I see this very much as an elegy to... uh, white male dominance of the world and i think peck and paul was ahead of his time a little bit in recognizing that uh the kind of like colonialism white male patriarchy system was uh kind of going to be challenged by future generations hence pike being shot by a child and also by women hence pike being shot by a woman that's interesting. Um, I I hadn't read that into though. That's yeah. That's that's, interesting that's one of my on. readings into it. Uh, I see it very much that way. Is here's a look back at uh, what these men were like, and they were flawed and evil, and tragic. But they were they were also human and had uh, a lot of human 
so it's it's interesting an interesting movie because i feel like it uh, presents these characters not necessarily in a favorable light but also uh it, it depicts them accurately but also gives you a chance to see uh their human side as well i'll buy that i'll buy that so that's not to excuse the misogyny and the <laughs> the, I don't the, think there's any excuse you can make for the, it. But. The violence and the the murdering of trampling women in the streets, which happens at one point. It does. Yeah. I was thinking about this film. I was like, it's almost like a twelve year old boy <laughs> wanted yeah. to make a movie, and he's like, yeah. I gotta have bullets, blood, and boobs. <laughs> yeah. And he puts them all out there, very. Uh, it's quite it, promiscuously. Yes, it's there. Although, I would say promiscuous by the standards of the time not necessarily by the standards of today but maybe not to, uh, but you know depends on where your moral center is actually i think even today like rated r films it would definitely be a little bit r more today. structured though like yeah when you watch a rated r film usually there's like more well this we know this is going to come up here we know this is going to come up here mm-hmm. there's like a structure now of what where you do a rated r movie at that time it's just like we need more guns we need more blood we need more nor more women here. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit more haphazard the way he puts it yeah. out there. But maybe it's a shocking movie. I think, he, and he meant it to shock people. I think, I think yeah, that's what he meant to do. The other thing I think we're going to disagree even more on. Oh boy, this is yeah, this is probably this the big one. Is, this is the big one right here, um, and this is why I, it's not as much of a criticism as just my take on the film. And I think yeah. I saved it to last because I know Ben is going to disagree with me on this. Yeah, we already had a little preliminary conversation about this. this I whenever think. I've read this film, read about this film, they often frame it as a redemption story, and I do not see it as a redemption story, except in maybe in this case of Deke Thornton. Actually, okay, I see it maybe in Thornton's case. Um, because the big, the big argument is that at the end of the fight, end of the, the movie, there's this big gunfight and he's there kind of to kind of redeem himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't, I don't, I don't really see that he does. He, he goes there to save Angel, but Angel dies. He's not really there to save the village and the village is not really saved anyway because it's, mm-hmm. it's the Mexican revolution. So it's going to get trampled on both sides anyway. Yeah. He ends up dying. Um, but the and he didn't have much to lose either. And he's, he's, yeah, he's not. He had no money, and he was adrift in Mexico, being pursued by. So the way I read all this, the authorities, the way I read this, it was much more not necessarily redemption, but much more at. He's just tired. Mm. So he's an older outlaw. He's being trailed by these bounty hunters and his old comrade. He's tired. He even says in the movie that he's tired of being, you know, pushed around and, and yeah, pushed to here and pushed there. He has these, I don't know if you've noticed it, but these run-ins with General Mapache a couple times. Mm-hmm. Now, you can tell that both these men are used to taking, giving orders. Yeah. And they're used to staying in violent situations and things like that. So you can see them butt heads several times. Mm-hmm. And he's almost like, I'm tired of this guy pushing me around. Yeah. So he goes there and he, he shoots him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost not enough. He's like... Because this is this, this is silence. Yeah, it's not right? enough. It's That's not enough. important, this, I think. It's the silence. He's like, and they start laughing, and then he's just kind of continues blasting away. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like that's trying to redeem anything. He's just kind of bloodthirsty. He's like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I want to get. I want to die. Why didn't anybody yeah. kill me yet? Yeah. Um. So I think I feel like the way I read it is that he's much more of a tired character. Um. The Gorch brothers are kind of in the same boat because they're like, this was going to be my last. It's going to be my last job. 
Yeah. And even with the like brief moment where he's like, I've just been engaged to the one lady. Yeah. Um, even then they kind of forget about her and <laughs> just keep on going on with what's going on. Um, Dutch would f- literally follow Pike into hell. Yeah. And uh, and at this point, they, none of them have anything to lose. So they yeah. say, Angel's dead, so we're just going to follow you along here. Hmm. The only one that I think you can make really a good solid argument about redemption is Deke Thornton. Which I think a lot of people write about him is that he's kind of out for revenge mm-hmm. on the trail against Pike. And I didn't see that in the movie. I see that that he's a man against like a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Because there's several parts in the film where they're like, you would join him if you could. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to hold a whole lot of hatred yeah. towards yeah, Pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's chasing him because he has to. Otherwise, he's going back to jail and he doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he goes and he tracks him down. And even when he has the opportunities to kind of close in on Pike, he kind of lets other people do it. And at the end of the film, he takes Pike's gun. He sits down and he's like, I'm done. You guys go back, mm-hmm. collect your rewards. Because he kind of knows that they're going to die from... <laughs> yeah. They're going to co- try to collect their, the other guy. And he's he, like, knows. He, he knows. Kno- he knows something's up He knows there. how incompetent they are. So he's like, there's just no point in going with them. And he stays at the gate here. And when it's all said and done... And O'Brien, Edmund O'Brien's character, comes back and invites him to go on this trip. Mm-hmm. He realizes that the he, he's not in danger of going to jail again. He doesn't have to keep tracking his old boss. Mm-hmm. He's He's got a freedom now. He can yeah. choose his own fate. And I think that's probably the redemption of mm-hmm. his character. Mm-hmm. I don't see a redemption for Pike because he doesn't save anybody. He doesn't yeah. even really save himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guys are just kind of following him along, kind of maybe in the same boat a little bit. Yeah. So that's my argument. I don't think it's really a redemption story in this film. I think he's just tired, and he's just kind of done with the world as as it as it is. I would disagree. <laughs> I knew you Predi- would. Predictably, <laughs> I knew you uh, would. In the sense that I think it's a story about redemption. I don't think it's a story of his redemption, Pikes. I think what happens there is so. Of course, early on in the film, in the first robbery, they leave one of the one of the troops behind. Yeah. It turns out to be Edmund O'Brien's uh, Sykes. Is that his name? Sykes. Sykes. Yeah. Uh, Sykes. Le- Sykes's grandson. Yeah. Unbeknownst to Pike, but they leave him behind to die and to be shot by. Played the... by Bo Hoskins. Yes. Or Hopkins. Hopkins. Excuse Bo, me. Ho- Bo, Bo Hopkins. Hopkins. Fantastic. I loved his performance. Insane. Very evil and mustache twirly. That sounds bad, but it's, like it's a great performance <laughs> of an evil like Joker. Yeah, 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 kind of insane and evil character. Yeah. Um, that's a that's an interesting alternate universe. Yeah, where, where Joker was made in the seventies, but played by Bo Hopkins. Um, I, I would watch that. But at that at kind of a, a critical moment, one of Pike's um, kind of mission statements, his mantra that he lives by, he says, uh, "When you side with a man, you stick with him, and if you can't do that, you're like an animal." But and yet he did that same thing to to one of not just one of his men four times one one of his men's girlfriends or grandsons. (laughs) (laughs) It happens four times in the movie. Yeah, it happens several times in the movie where he leaves somebody behind. Um, And I think the the redemption part of his story is he realizes that he's not everything that he's cracked up to be. He's not. He's played this role for a long time of being a leader of being a man and he realizes that he's uh he's not 
living up to his own he hasn't lived up to even his own standard let alone the standards that society imposed on him which were much higher (laughs) right than his own standards so i think the act of him uh going in there first of all it doesn't save the village uh certainly but it uh it does give them a leg up in a sense it gives them less enemies to kill uh, then the other sense is, I think it's a story about, ultimately, I think it's a story about him seeking redemption through his own means. Like, it's 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 hardwired into him to to fight. It's kind of like a live by the sword, die by the sword. And there, you could get into a lot of biblical stuff with Pe- Peckinpah, because Peckinpah grew up in a religious environment and carried a Bible with him through his entire life. Um, so obviously, uh, religious imagery was very important to him. Um, and I see Peck and, uh, I see Pike's character as a sort of, uh, image of, uh, a sinner who knows that he's damned and, uh, but he has no recourse, but to try and fight his own way out of it because he doesn't, he, he can't see any kind of grace and it wouldn't even occur to him to look for it. I think he his only way is to to live by the sword and die by the sword. So I think it's interesting as like a character piece. Not so much. It's not a story of redemption in the sense that he finds it. I think it's a uh, story of a man, a tragedy of about a man uh, seeking redemption, juxtaposed with Thornton, who actually who does find actually it. finds something, finds some hope for that. It plays into my reading of the movie too, which I don't know if you would go along with, which is kind of like the the decline of the white patriarchy <laughs> of olden times. I do like that reading. I think that's an interesting reading. I don't know if that's actually what Peck and Paul really intended, but uh, I I, 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 like I, I don't know. Um, I, I like that idea. And I think um, that that plays into the the final line of the piece, which is it ain't like it used to be, but it'll do. And so that's. Uh, that that's kind of similar with their characters where they're they're trying the new way which is revolution basically symbolized yeah. by the revolution they're going to try a new way instead of being outlaws they're going to fall in with the instead of being independent they're going to fall in with the system um but it's a that's, revolutionary system that's an interesting way to put that a revolution revolutionary system yeah obviously a deep and thought provoking work this is love it or hate it and i think that's why it's still a great movie and it was mm. on the fi i don't know if it was the old list or the new list but it actually pointed up a the 80th film okay on the afi so quite a bit further down than i would have ranked it <laughs> <laughs> well it is your, one of your favorite movies it, it, and it does a great job of uh pointing the way it points the way of like future cinema mm. as far as uh, story goes so and action the way action films are made and I I yeah. like that part of it. I think that was a really good part. And it also kind of pulls from the past too. Yeah. Um so heavily. Bill Holden, this is one of his later films. Mm-hmm. He had kind of fallen into a uh I don't know, I guess a slump of of films mm-hmm. that he apparently wasn't that wasn't his old self in. And uh critics said that this kind of brought him back. It did for sure. Um, and He'd actually I, killed a man. Did you read that part of the I story? I didn't read that part of the story. He uh he was in Italy drunk and driving his ferrari and he hit somebody and killed him 
was on trial for manslaughter, convicted of manslaughter, I think. So he this was he was not seen uh favorably in the media in the media. Well that, that might incident, be of course. May play more into the story of a redemption story than than yeah. the actual actual movie itself is is Bill Holden's redemption. Yeah. Well I, I again I wouldn't classify it as a redemption movie. It is a movie about redemption. But not a redemption movie. Yeah. We're gonna to have to talk about that more. <laughs> That's gonna take too much time to to figure out. Yeah, it's about um, him. It's about him giving in and deciding to seek redemption. But uh, Edmund O'Brien and Robert Red- Robert Ryan and Edmund O'Brien, uh, both are older actors. Mm-hmm. Both kind of bringing the past. Although to the, to not the as not as old as he looks. He's not. No, he's a, he really is great in this movie. <laughs> I think probably better in this movie than any other movie I've ever seen him in. Yeah. And he says that about the role too in interviews. He says oh, this is this is one of my best roles. This is the best roles. It uh, he was at kind of a slump too at that point, and he said this is the movie that reinvigorated him or re-excited him about uh, acting uh, in general. And that's another kind of parallel with Treasure of the Sierra Madre because he kind of plays that old crazy man <laughs> role yeah. a little bit. And uh, Robert Ryan, who I had read that he's dying in this uh, at this point in his life. He's. I think he had cancer while he had this film. While he was doing the mm. film, he's very thin, very gaunt in this movie, mm-hmm. which kind of plays into the character a little bit more too. But it also, this is. I kind of when reading about this film, I kind of heard a lot about how revolutionary it was. So I kind of expected something much more late 60s, 70 ish. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised to find that there was. It was very much in the in the same mold as older westerns. Yeah. So watching Magnificent Seven, which was done in 1960, mm-hmm. or watching even going back to John Ford westerns, mm-hmm. how the scenery is used and how the stunts are done, uh, even the violence. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of old school archetypes. There is the train robbery and the bridge being blown up. Yeah. To the point that when they when Peckinpah introduced the concept of the bridge being blown up, everybody who was working on the movie said, "Really." <laughs> another bridge blowing another bridge, up yeah. so that's that became kind of a western trope so yeah it's 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 pulling from the past it pulls from the past yeah. but explores them in a way that's uh which fresh and interesting for the time i think an interesting thing for me is that how it pushes towards westerns is that whenever you watch a western now you get a very strong sense of nostalgia i think mm-hmm. and this film kind of brings up that idea of romanticism versus nostalgia again I think mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about that in Rio Bravo, but I think, no, not Rio Bravo, but uh, My Darling Clementine, we talked mm-hmm. about that. But in this film, I think you feel a lot more of a, a mixture of that, of that nostalgia versus that romanticism. Yeah. Um, and I think that will be something that pushes on for future yeah. Westerns. Yeah. So I think it's kind of just interesting to look at and how it portrays itself and how it portrays culture at the time. And it's not quite a revisionist Western, but it has yeah. some of the elements of one. Yeah, yeah. So very much, I think, a movie that should stand up and a lot of criticisms for it, but I think a film that does mm-hmm. stand up in, in the um, first time. In, I guess in conclusion to our, before we transition into talking about the 60s, uh, Peckinpah, one of my favorite quotes from Peckinpah is actually about a movie he made after this called Straw Dogs. Uh, he uh, was written a letter by a concerned... Uh, citizen (laughs) who was very upset by the the intense violence and the sexual content and the general uh explicitness and intensity of the movie uh and peckinpah said of that film uh i didn't want you to like the movie 
I wanted you to take a long look into your own soul. And I think, uh, for me at least, uh, Peckinpah's movies really do that. Every time I watch a Peckinpah movie, I start out thinking about the movie, but by the end I'm reflecting on uh, deeper issues. So I think that's uh, that's the, the real testament of what makes The Wild Bunch great to me. That's an interesting take. I'd, I have to look at more Peckinpah films. Yeah. I I actually do like the movie Major Dundee. I know that's got a lot of criticisms as far as is it really Peckinpah there or not. Now, do you know which version of uh, Major Dundee you've seen? I don't. I kept it. It's it's in it's downstairs. Is I have it to look okay? At it. So, um, I think that's probably one. I think it's more of a revised version of okay. more more what Peckinpah had. I think that might be the only version available on DVD, but I could probably. be wrong about that. I mean, people are kind of funny about that, but making it this is how it should be seen type <laughs> thing. Um, but I do like Major Dundee. I kind of want to see the ballad of uh, uh, C- Cable Hogue. Cable Hogue. That's an know. interesting one. It looks kind of interesting to me. I don't really want to see Straw Dogs. We talked about that one. And just yeah, seems, we've, we've talked about Straw Dogs seems off like the a air too quite in, a bit. Too intense for me. I don't really want to see that one. It's his most intense work other than possibly uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think I've read up a little about that that looked a little interesting to me yeah um deadly companions i've seen part of i want to see um the the big one that i'm missing is uh pat garrett and billy the kid we that was another one we had talked about doing we considered doing that one for the 70s yeah and and doing a different film for the 60s because there obviously there's a lot there's a yeah there's a lot to talk about um we could have done butch cassidy which came out the same year as this and buried it at the box office which Peckinpah was not happy about, no. um, for obvious reasons, but no. still, uh, I think he thought he was his film was the superior film. Yeah, and, and uh, Peckinpah scholars are very vehement about that. And At least Stratton is. Stra- uh, Stratton is extremely derisive about, uh, about, Butch, Cassidy, about Butch Cassidy, which I, I, I like Butch Cassidy. I think it's a good movie. I didn't it explores like it as, a lot of the same themes. I didn't like it as much as I thought I would like it. Okay. I need to go back and watch it because I was younger and kind of distracted at the time i was thinking i was doing something else when i was watching it um so uh i need to go back and rewatch it but i i had saw clips before the film so i thought i would really like it mm-hmm. um and when i ended up watching it i was not as impressed so i need to watch it again apparently yeah. i need to rewatch wild bunch too <laughs> uh, well i didn't like it as much the first time i watched it wild bunch or wild Bush bunch Cassidy? but uh it's it's one that stuck with me and i keep watching it yeah so it's an interesting film. It's a very interesting film. Lots yeah. to think about. And it gave me a lot to think about uh, after watching it, too. So now transition to the historical portion of our show. Indeed. Uh, this is a, a pop culture and history podcast. So talking about the, the, the 1960s, this film was made in 1969, or released in 1969. It was actually yes. made in, the 19, in 1968. A mm-hmm. lot going on in this time period. Very much. And I, I have a few direct quotes from the books I was reading uh, the one book I was reading is called Quest for Identity. It's a uh, textbook, actually, mm-hmm. uh, of the latter part of the 20th century. Um, and this is talking about uh, the youth movement of the time. Mm. Um, and this kind of gives you an idea of what's going on at that point versus today. So let me read this uh, to you real quick. Um, I just want to do this. So the birth rates had declined during the 1930s and early 40s. In 1960, the average age was 34. Then the baby boom hit. The number of young people ages 18 through 24 increased. 
from 16 to 45 million between 1960 and 1972. Uh, so the average went to 17. That's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So kind of go. Let's be framed the 1960s here for you. This is very young America. Yeah. Um, the average age is 17. To, to put that of the know, whole of America, of all of America. So today the average age is like 34 mm-hmm. or 38 or I forget. It. It's in the 19. It's so in we've kind of leveled off to what we were in the, the oh, 30s. This is the ni- 40s. This, this is from because of the baby boom. Yeah. Um. So the age. Ages the average age has now gone up, obviously, because the baby boom has gotten older. Mm-hmm. But just think about how young America is at that point. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of pop culture going on here, and this is the rise of the pop culture wave here. So this is a very young America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have films that are going from the old, that old censored kind of idea of you can't yeah. put certain films, certain things in films, to like an explosion of violence and sex yeah. and well, drugs. And this is like actually that. when the rating system is invented. Is in, in place. Yeah. So it didn't exist before that. So a film had to meet a certain code in order to to exist yeah. as of nineteen thirty eight forward until I think sixty sixty eight, I think, is when the rating system officially yeah. becomes so implemented. In this in this time period people are very interested in seeing well all that they could put in a movie. Yeah. And um, there's there's also a disconnect between the studios and the audiences because the studios were old school, yeah, and, and it was a changing changing generation generation there very young generation. So there there was also a sense of uh, experimentation of well let's see what these kids want and there was a lot of strange movies made in, <laughs> in this the 19th, time 1960s. just trying to figure out what these kids what these kids from the youth market wanted because nobody really knew and the same thing for music. This is Woodstock will happen in 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beatles before that. Beatles before that. Well, they're actually coming in the 50s too. No, uh, 60. They come to America in 64, 63. That's when their first album comes out. So in they the were. States. Yeah, they were. They're only recording together for five years. They recorded together for. Well, their their last album that they record together as a group. I mean, they will record, release other yeah. albums. To, as it's a gr- 69 as a or 79. It's 69. So they were only together, I think, for seven or eight years. So they must have started in 62. Uh, oh, I'm glad we're doing the music math on this one here. <laughs> um, but my point is, <laughs> is uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, culture changes, cultural changes going on here. So let me give you an idea of what's going on in the 1960s here. So the year closed in Dow Jones Industrial is 800. Average cost of a new house was 15,550. Average income per year, there it is, is 8,550. Average monthly rent is 135. Average cost of a new car, $3,270. That's a Toyota Corona, Hmm. everybody's favorite car. $1,950. And the gas, uh, gas per gallon was 35 cents. Uh, so well, the Corona have been fairly new in the United States at this point, because uh, we were at war with Japan in the forties, right? And in had the, we started importing Japanese cars in the thirties? In the nineteen, I don't forget how it goes. I know in the late fifties into the sixties, there's kind of this rush of foreign cars, because mm-hmm. um, in the fifties everybody couldn't afford one, so we got a lot of American cars going mm-hmm. on there. Um, 
and then in the 60s uh japan becomes a major a major a major economic house so we get a lot of uh a lot of electronics and you get a lot of uh, cars and things like that um and it peaks i think in the 90s um but we are at war it was the vietnam war from 1955 to 1975 and some of the major events there is that uh i'm going to pronounce this very badly i'm sorry ready i forgive you all right in advance <laughs> uh Ngo Dinh Dinh is assassinated by his own generals as part of a coup d'etat that is carried out uh, with the tacit support of the United States. So he was the the leader of of South Vietnam, um, mm. and that uh, apparently he going to make a deal with the North, um, and then he is assassinated, and is South Vietnam is run kind of more or less by the the generals there, um, and then uh, 1964 commanders North Vietnam torpedo boat attacks. This is called the the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Uh, torpedo boats in the Gulf of Tonkin are attacked or supposedly attacked, and this opens the door for more troops to get into Vietnam. Uh, 23,000 U.S. troops are in Vietnam, and roughly 400 have been killed up to that point. Mm -hmm. 1966, a, a program for the pacification and long-term development of Vietnam is uh, commissioned, and then uh, 185,000 U.S. service members in Vietnam, more than 2,700 um, in those two years. That's those were the numbers that have kind of increased. Hmm. By 1968, um, there's a report about a uh, about an attack in Vietnam called My Lay, and this is still brought up. Uh, this is actually uh, really what causes the U.S. home front to go against the war. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is 1968. This is when the Bunch actually is being made. This happens. Yeah. Um, so. And if you're not familiar with the that that event, uh, it's estimated that 500 unarmed villagers were killed by U.S. Army troops uh, in Mylay, including women and children and elderly men. Uh, apparently, I guess they were, had not they had been told that there were Viet Cong in the area, and the the villagers wouldn't tell uh, where they were, um, and so someone starts shooting. Um, in 1969, millions of people across the United States take this to the streets to protest Vietnam. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a war that's kind of starts a little bit by the 1950s. Uh, Kennedy had sent in, uh, by 1960s, Kennedy had sent in a few advisors. Um, of course, 55 Eisenhower's president. So he's kind of looking at the the issue as a Cold War issue. Yeah, and we've talked about the Cold War in the past, yeah. but the... Yeah. The, the heat of the Cold War has definitely been turned up in the 60s, majorly. Yeah. You and have your Cuban Missile Crisis in the, yeah, in the, early, in the 60s. early 60s during Kennedy's presidency. Oh, that's something I forgot to do. I usually go through the presidents at the early to begin with. John F. Kennedy is president in 1960 mm -hmm. to 1963 when he's assassinated. Yes. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson will take over 63 to 69. Mm -hmm. And then Richard Nixon wins in 1969. Uh, and he will start off the 1970s. Tricky Dicky. Yes, although at the time he is kind of looked at pretty, pretty fairly, actually. Uh, he, he was very beloved, one of the a, most popular men in America at the which time. Is kind of interesting considering his his status now. Yeah. Um, he had been vice president under Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. He uh, he's an older man by the 1970, 
which is interesting because we're talking about how much of a youth culture this is mm-hmm. at that point. He was definitely seen as the opposition to the youth culture. Now, in 1969, the population in the U.S. is 200 million. Um, Apollo 11, first man on the moon. Yes. Woodstock. Very big event. Wood, Woodstock, Woodstock, cultural changes. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks signed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he will change his name in 1971. Originally, he was named as uh, Louis Alcindor. Um, if you're familiar with your UCLA, NCAA sports, which I know you're not, Ben. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the first automatic teller machine in the United States is installed. And that kind of st- uh, stuck out to me because can you imagine a world without the ATM? Yeah, it's a different era. It really is. And we look, talked about that on the film, about the film, mm-hmm. um, but also about uh, just everyday things. You're kind of turning much more to computers mm-hmm. even at that point. Abbey Road is released in 1969, which is the the last album the Beatles will record together. They mm-hmm. will release other albums later on, but that's the one. Uh, Walmart incorporates as Walmart Stores, Inc., 1969. Hey, our old friend, yeah, Wally World. Everywhere now. Um, but they first opened as Walmart in 1962. Oh, wow. Think about that. For In seven years, they had they had exploded as as a, an entity on the it's pretty remarkable it really is um but yeah um the 1960s particularly 1969 yeah it's, it's a the late 60s are kind of like when the around the 67 i think is when um kate ashbury happens there's a big uh gathering of hippie types and the kind of like summer of love was in 67 um some people even say that 67 the 60s only lasted through the summer of 67 (laughs) so there's there's a lot of like um the free love movement is happening there's this kind of rejection of traditional values and ideas and a kind of pursuit of not just new forms of art and culture but um new ways of living and doing life and a lot of those ideas um led to some crash and burns so you have a lot of uh, overdoses during this time uh people like janice joplin and Jimi hendrix right yeah. who uh, died as a result of uh drug experimentation and addiction um but then it's also interesting going on is uh the social upheaval mm-hmm. not just there's a rise in assassinations of course assassinations. martin luther king um and which happened in the, the same year the film was being made, Martin Luther mm-hmm. King Jr., and then uh, Bobby Kennedy after that. Yeah. Um, and just, I guess that, uh, that would play into the whole, uh, what they call it, the melees of the 1970s. Mm. Um, so we're looking at a time period that's going, it starts off pretty hopeful. It is pretty hopeful. It's interesting to me that the, there was this kind of, um, with all this, uh, all the youth and all the new uh, ideas that flooded in, there was a kind of real sense that uh, almost anything's possible kind of idea uh, floating around. And so you see things get financed and put on TV or printed in the comic books that you never would have imagined possible, uh, even just five years before this movie came out. Um, but... 
yeah it's it, in a few years people i think uh started to see that there are, are uh certain things about human nature that are uh much more difficult to deal with than uh perhaps some people in the 60s naively might have assumed and i think that um, that uh and that will that leads us right into the 70s that kind of just hits everybody at home i was looking through my notes here um because there's a quote from peck and paw i don't know if you've heard this this quote here uh says i'm basically a storyteller the western is a universal frame within which it is possible to come comment on today Mm-hmm. There are a great many people who are disturbed because they feel something is going wrong. I am one of them. Yep. So, kind of bringing it back to the film there. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to to tie it together. Yeah. I think um, you see kind of a rise in um, interest in science fiction projects around this time because of all the... Um, scientific advancement that we were making in terms of uh new apollo tech- 11 mission yeah the apollo 11 and the space program and uh but also just an increase in technology it's true there's a lot of new technology that happens uh during this time you're correct a lot of uh sci-fi interest here of course uh, kubrick's uh, 2001 space odyssey yeah kubrick's 2001 comes out and kind of blows open the doors a little bit but it it opens science fiction to kind of um critical acclaim which hadn't really happened before because science fiction was kind of like a lower tier pulp fiction genre for uh, pulp magazines and uh and comics kinda, and then i think that kind of plays into the youth culture at the time because mm-hmm. the people who are these young directors and young movie makers that are coming up in the like 1960s remember that from their childhoods yeah and are kind of bringing it into that filmmaking and so the sci-fi gets a little bit more of a front seat yeah and it takes a it takes a very strong like critical position although not necessarily a popular one particularly at the movies um i feel like maybe less so in other mediums but uh it becomes sort of a a genre that people like to explore in that way that peckinpah explores um people use it as an allegory or a means of telling stories or several films uh from that time you think talk about that that's why the western seems like it's almost dying in the 1960s yeah well i i that was kind of generation thing that was where i was kind of like waddling the point i was waddling (laughs) towards um science fiction kind of is on the rise and as the western is on the decline so there's kind of this um idea and, and you have john f kennedy saying in the 60s space is the final frontier which becomes like the tagline for star trek yeah which was uh, originally conceived as wagon train to the stars. So there's kind of this idea of like space as being the new frontier and the frontier carrying with it a lot of the Western, um, a lot of the, the typography and stuff that was explored in Western starts to be explored in science fiction as kind of like the medium for the, for the new generation, you know, in a way of of moving, moving forward, that idea of progress, Mm -hmm. um, colonizing space like like just like we colonized the west yeah so conquering those those uh dragons so would you say then that uh science fiction of the 70s 80s and 90s maybe today is what the western was for the 
40s, 50s, and 60s. Then it's hard to at least for pop culture anyway. Yeah, it's pretty hard to gauge. I think, and they're they're kind of apples and oranges in a way. In many ways, yeah. In many the, ways, I mean, like theme wise. But theme wise, yeah, I think uh, I think particularly after you have your blockbuster era of science fiction. That's true. The once you have your Star Wars and your Alien and your E.T. Yeah. Those movies really opened the door for science fiction to become what the Western was in the 50s, which was the kind of a vehicle, an empty vessel into which you could pour whatever story you want. Right. Um, and you see a lot of all different kinds of like support your local gunfighter and blazing saddles that are comedies, but set in the Western motif. Yeah. So it was kind of like an empty. It was a setting almost as much as a genre. And I feel like the same kind of became true for science fiction, although more gradually over the course of the uh, 60s and 70s. Stay tuned to the Pop Story and Podcast if you want to know why I'm bringing up science fiction <laughs> in our <laughs> podcast about Westerns. <laughs> well, I was we weren't going to spill the beans on that too soon. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's a lot there. There is. There's a lot happening, and it's a big... Big change in America. So, of course, with the automatic teller machine, the Apollo Eleven technology is changing. Yeah. Uh, movie technology is changing. Movie technology is changing. The Some of the stuff that's way of storytelling. Yeah, you've got Easy Rider that year, which was kind of a, a big studio movie. It's low, low budget. Treated, yeah, given a low budget and treated as an independent movie. Yeah. So it's kind of. Uh, the initial popularization, I guess, of independent film as a as a means, and the technology was getting small enough that you could actually travel around the country and shoot a movie without having the support of a giant studio behind you. Yeah, that is also on the AFI one hundred. It is. So I guess that it's a big year in the movie world. Man, I think we're kind of running off the tracks here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's bring it down. Uh, wind it up thank here. you for listening to our long awaited and uh, hopefully you anticipated it and <laughs> enjoyed it episode of the Pop Story and Podcast our series Westerns by the Decade will continue for the 70s next time yes which I'm very excited about we're going to talk about an important director in the western genre cold did you want to announce it Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood in his, his directorial debut yeah, a lot of Josie Wales. Is it really? It is. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a filmmaker who at the time of recording is still making movies, actually. Yeah. I really want to see his new movie. Yeah. Um, quite remarkable span that he's had. He's done a quite, quite a few here in the last couple of years. Yeah. So we're excited to watch that and talk about that. Uh, if you want to watch along with us, go uh, to your local supplier of movies and check out the outlaw Josie Wales. And uh, let us know what you think of it. Send us your review. If you send it to us in within uh, a week or two of release, we should be able to include it in our next monthly uh, edition of Westerns by the Decade. We'd love to hear what you think about the movie. Not just have the two of us blathering on the whole time, but get some diversity of opinion in there. So uh, send us an email, popstorian at gmail.com, or direct message on Twitter. Or just send us a tweet, or send us a picture on instagram oh yeah that'd be great tag us on instagram um facebook we're all in the we're all in there 
or send us a, an audio file or a video. We can do review. that. Yeah. Yeah, we can incorporate the audio from that into the podcast directly. We would so. do that. So you definitely do that. We would do that for you because we care about you, listener. We do. We do very much. Are you done? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Saddle up. Let's go. To the 1970s. You're supposed to say, why not? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Why not? Thanks for listening to the Pobstorian podcast. Be sure to subscribe. You can find us online at popstorian.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Tune in next time for more of the history of popular culture.